So consider for a moment what it's like to be caught up in a reactive emotion, which happens to all of us. So something like, say, anger. You know, you don't need to evoke it at this moment, but we can, you know, we can remember a time when we were caught up in something. And in, in anger in particular, there's a sense of opposition. You know, it's like there's other people are against me, or we even think inanimate objects are out to get us. You know, surely when I'm angry, my computer is not working you know, precisely to spite me, right? Um, whereas other times, you know, we might have a more spacious attitude. So there's this sense of um, opposition. And we suffer quite a, quite a lot in perceiving the world in that particular way, regardless of whether or not it's true. I mean, maybe sometimes there's something that we're angry about that, you know, that we might feel is justified. And there might other be, t- be other times where we're angry and it was a total mistake. You know, we got angry over something that we had misinterpreted. It doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter the source. Either way, the anger is suffering for us that we can understand. So we can say, though, that the... Um, in, in Buddhist understanding, the when the mind is taken over by anger or when it has anger and doesn't see it, there's a whole world that's been projected. And if we don't see it, we just move in and we, we live in that world that is projected by anger. So if there's you know, a world of opposition, basically, and if we don't see it, then we've, you know, we've essentially taken birth there. So today, that was kind of a setup that for today I want to talk about reactive emotions or difficult emotions or suffering uh, types of emotions in terms of a model that is used in several Buddhist traditions. We'll look at the, the structure itself and then also some practices that help us step out of the suffering that's associated with difficult emotions so it'll be pragmatic also. So this is a model that has six different realms to it. And technically, these are used to describe the options for rebirth. But we could also think about them in a psychological sense. You know, the, when I said we would take birth into the world of opposition, you don't have to think of that as literally... Um, you know, the, the time when you die and then get reborn. It can just be that we were fine at one moment and then we got triggered and we, you know, we suddenly were in a different universe. You know, the world felt completely different. So we've quote unquote taken birth associated with that anger. And that in this model would be with the six, the, one of the six realms. It would be the hell realm is associated with anger. So I thought I would just describe these first and then we'll, we'll look at practices. So I don't know that this model is totally complete in terms of including every single emotion. It only includes six. Um, but you can, you'll recognize the realms, I think, when I describe them. And a lot of other realms can, can kind of fit in to variations on these particular ones. So there's the hell realm, which is anger and 
you know, other forms of aversion, irritation, um, annoyance, rage, those kinds of things. And how we see the world associated with this is in terms of opposition, as I described earlier. So everything is seen as a battle. We're ready to go. So the second realm then is called the hungry ghost realm. And um, this is named after a creature that called the hungry ghost that is never satisfied. This is the world of greed. And so the, these beings are perceived as having enormous empty bellies and they're so hungry and they're so thirsty and they have these little tiny mouths and little thin necks and they can just never get enough down into their belly to fill it. So they're perpetually hungry and needy and it's, it's a big, big suffering actually. So this is the world of, you know, of, of neediness essentially, of wanting, of feeling of barrenness, like you can just never um, find what you need. When you do find something, it, you see it as just a tiny little morsel, like it's hardly satisfying to get that one little thing because you really wanted more than that. So it's, it's also a lot of big suffering associated with this realm. And as I describe them, you may consider are these realms that we have at times been in. And I think we'll recognize all of them to some degree. Next we have the animal realm. And that is associated with ignorance or instinct or delusion. Interesting that those are all kind of lumped together. Um, this is a realm where there's a lot of fear you know, animals are often afraid of being exposed, attacked, made into lunch. You know, it's not, um, there's a lot of that in the animal world. And there's also a sense of um, rigid programming. You know, animals don't have a lot of different behavior options. <laughs> they have the one thing that they're good at, that they're adapted for, and that's kind of what they do. And so, and if you put them in a totally different situation, they get totally confused immediately. And then they try to keep doing what they know how to do. It's kind of a limited kind of thing. And so the, the mode of how we see the world is survival mode. Eat or be eaten. Live today or die today. You know, that's kind of what it's about. And in our lives, of course, you know, we're not animals. We have much more... Well, we are animals in a technical sense, but we're not of that realm. And we have many more mental options, but sometimes we don't. You know, we have the areas in our lives that we're just playing out the patterns. And we're always, we're programmed, you know, when this happens, we do this. Or else we can get into the animal mode where we're, it's just about, you know, dragging ourselves through the day, uh, completing this, doing that, you know, rote. Uh, we've had maybe periods in our life that felt like that, or else times a day. And we're, it's really, um, let's say, not a very elevated existence, but we can get into that mode as humans. Maybe one of the qualities of humans is that we can enter all of the six modes psychologically. I'm not sure the others can completely. So that's three realms. Then the, the fourth realm is the human realm. Actually, this is one of the realms 
this is a realm that we're familiar with. This is kind of, this is life in the world of everyday desires. So it's mostly we get born, it's said that we get born as humans or into this human psychological realm related to being interested in sensual pleasure. Um, it's not the extreme greed of the hungry ghost realm, but, you know, we like, we like stuff. <laughs> and that's what we are as humans. My teacher used to say that instead of being calling us human beings, we could be called human desirelings. And it's kind of true, right? You know, we go through our day um, in small ways, always kind of looking for the thing that's going to be pleasant, you know. And it's not like it's all bad. Why, you know, we choose for breakfast our favorite coffee, and we like to have, I don't know, egg and toast, or we like to have granola, whatever we like. Um, and, you know, we try to get those things. We, we try to arrange our lives so that we can have the physical things that we like surrounding us and that we can be with the people that we want to be with. We like other people. That's another thing about the human realm is that we're very connected and attached to each other. And so this is the realm of desire. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not that, that really aching neediness, but it does have a level of unsatisfactoriness to it in that we can't ever quite get all of our stuff to line up, right? You can't, it's very hard to get it all to work at the same time, to get your job working, your relationship, your children, your car, your house, um, all that, all at the same time, right? We can get little pieces of it your health, you know, and then one of the other ones will fall off and then we get that one working, but we've neglected this one. And there's always this kind of moving around, trying to keep everything in place. So we see things in terms of basically sense pleasure and enjoyment, and we try to enjoy our lives. And that's one of the things we do as humans. So this is a realm that I think would be familiar to all of us. This is said, by the way, to be the most fortunate realm to be born into. And I'm going to go on to say, we've sort of been moving up from hell to human, and it's going to get better. Humans are a little bit above the middle, basically. Um, but this is said to be the best realm because it's because of this sort of okay quality that it has. It's not, um, for most people at least, I'll be careful generalizing, but it's not horrible. It's not, it's not like the hell realms, if you read the descriptions of them. Even the bad parts of being human are not like that. Whereas, of course, it's not super, super duper pleasurable either. We're always struggling a little bit and we have this body that's hard to take care of. And so it's kind of like, okay, in the middle. And it's, um, so that gives us just the right amount of challenge and just the right amount of gratification that we're able to do the path, <laughs> is what it says, is that we have the right combination of conditions for practice. But there are other options. The, um, the fifth realm is the, the Titan realm, or the sometimes called the angry gods or the demigods. And these, um, these beings are more powerful than humans. They're, they enjoy more power, more wealth, more strength, more abilities. Um, but they are jealous. <laughs> they are, this is the realm of jealousy and envy. And you have, you've got some good stuff, but um, you don't have quite everything. And you're so jealous of the people who have more than you. So it's about competition and achievement. We do this one too as humans. 
This is the realm of competing in the job world for that next promotion, for the status, for uh, um, doing better than the Joneses in your Halloween decorations, for one-upping your sister at the wedding by wearing a better dress. You know, all these little ways that we try to make things just a little better for us and how we feel like if we were just a little bit better than them, then we could feel better about ourselves. Um, so it's that realm of competition, envy, uh, achievement. And then we have the gods, the devas. This is the realm of superiority, specialness. I mean, it's all about being the best and maintaining that. And this is the realm of pride. The associated emotion is pride. And so, you know, these are, the, these are the people who are living the good life. It's all pretty much working. They probably don't need to work. Um, they're not really touched by the rougher qualities of life because their wealth allows them to choose the environment that they want to be in. And they figure that this is all pretty much um, their due. You know, it's supposed to be this way. I was born into this. It's pretty natural. I've got, you know, I'm, I've got stuff together, unlike some of those other people. You know, that world. And um, so those are the six realms. And let me just uh, review them along with their emotions. So there's the hell realm associated with anger. Everything we see is opposition. There's the hungry ghost realm associated with greed. Everything is about neediness, need. Um, the animal realm, instinct or delusion, and it's about survival. The human realm, desire, enjoyment. The demigod realm of jealousy and envy and the world of competition and achievement. And the god realm of pride and superiority and the maintenance of it. So we may recognize shades of these. We may have some emotional reactions to some of these as I describe them. Oh, I know that one, or, oh, I don't want that one, or, oh, my neighbor's got that one. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, that was a reaction, right? <laughs> that was a reaction. So each of these, however, the aim is not to get to the God realm, just so you know. Um, each of these has its own particular struggles and its own type of suffering that goes with it. There's no perfect realm among these six. Some of them look better than others, maybe, um, but they're not. They all have problems. And I, I wanted to read a, a description uh, of one of these realms from Ken McLeod of the Titan realm, which I think is highly relevant um, probably in California in general, but certainly in Silicon Valley, you know, as competition and achievement. Even if you don't feel this personally, probably you've worked for an organization that had some competition within its realm, right? It was trying to achieve more than the other guys. So we're, we're definitely attuned to this. So the thing about the demigod realm or the Titan realm, they live pretty well. I mean, these are talented beings, but they live right next door to the gods, and they can see that the gods have it a little bit better than they do, right? So here we go. This is the description. I love this. You should have what the gods have. You are determined to have it. 
You don't care that the gods are more powerful. You don't care that all your previous efforts ended in failure. All that matters is that you are going to have what they have, be what they are, even if the effort kills you, and it usually does. This is jealousy. It's a war you can never win. You plot, you scheme, you plan, you train, you develop new weapons, you develop new strategies. You do everything you can. When the time comes to go against the gods, however, you always lose. The status, wealth, ability, power, or happiness you do have feels empty. You can't enjoy what you have because others have more. They are smarter, more beautiful, more graceful, stronger, faster, richer, or have more friends. You feel your lack intensely. You are less than they are. To avoid that feeling, you strive to achieve bigger and bigger goals, tearing down others when necessary to prove that you aren't less than they are. Yet your striving changes no one's opinion, not even yours. You still feel less than. Yeah? So even if that's not your favorite realm, you can get the flavor of it. So this, these six realms, by the way, have another name, a single word that names them, samsara. Yeah, have you heard that word? It's the word that contrasts with nirvana or nibbana, with freedom. So whether it's literal of people being born in these different realms or whether it's psychological, our mind taking birth in these different possibilities, we just go round and round. That's what we do. So the truth, which you should check for yourself, but here's the truth, there is no final solution within samsara. There's no perfect realm. It's, and it's not possible to just get all the good parts of those realms and not get the bad parts along with them, not get the suffering. Also, every one of these states is temporary. Even if you get yourself up into the God realm, uh, it doesn't last. It may last for this whole lifetime, um, maybe. <laughs> but even, um, even the super rich age, get sick and die. You know, that happens also to them and their bodies don't work very well, even if they can buy better health care. Um, so there are still problems. And then they have to reckon with the fact that they're just like everybody else. That's a big psychological suffering of the pride realm. So it may be, though, that we look into our mind and we realize that we are subconsciously practicing for the deva realms. Um, you know, wouldn't it be nice if practice made me more tranquil so that I could just sail through my job? Maybe if I were talented enough, I could make enough money. If I were calm enough, I could, you know, make enough money that I wouldn't have to work anymore and I could live the really good life. You know, it's, you know, they're subtle. Sometimes we want to do that so that we can go on more retreat. So that's good. Um, but there are ways in which we are aiming for the for the God realms. And I just wanted to let you know that the, the God realm won't do it for you. <laughs> it does have problems. But, uh, you know, and this is not like... Um, let me say that this can be very subtle. There's another teacher who had been practicing for 20, 30 years at the time and finally got the opportunity to, to do deep concentration practice. And she happens to be quite good at it. And she, um, 
So she was able to achieve these, these jhana states and she was going through them. And there was one where you were supposed to look very carefully at, you know, what was holding you and, you know, what was supporting you in the jhana state. The jhana states are really good, by the way. They are associated with the deva realms. I mean, there's just huge amounts of pleasure, way more than you can get from the sense world. And um, the body feels so peaceful and relaxed. There's no pain. And the mind is so tranquil, it can hardly be disturbed. You don't have any of that chattering thoughts. Those are gone. It's a really good state. And so she could rest in this for a long time. And she was asked to look for the root that supports that. You know, what is it? Because these are conditioned states. Um, and when she looked, she found that she really, really liked it. You know, like she, she thought, yeah, I think it would be really cool to be reborn in one of the deva realms and just live like this for, you know, eons, because the devas don't have 100-year lifespans. They have many, many eon lifespans spent in a really good place. And she saw very clearly that she wanted this. <laughs> and she was shocked because, you know, she's a teacher. She's been practicing for 20 or 30 years. She, she you know, very much is devoted to liberation, has had some awakening experiences, but she found there was a part of her mind that was like, oh, this is so good. You know, I really would like to just hang out here for a long time. So that's in us. And if, if we're still doing the hell realms, it's kind of amazing that there's something in us that wants that. So the only solution, not within the realm of samsara, the only solution is to step out. This is what's called stepping out of the round. Through what? through insight. That is what gets us out. Um, John practice doesn't actually get us out. It gets us to the God realm. But we need insight to get out. So you can't just create insight by wanting it. We have to practice. So we were offered these meditation practices through the Buddhist tradition to uh, point the mind toward uh, being able to lift itself out of this repetitive cycling through samsara so the way to, you know, that, that's sort of grandiose, that would be full awakening. But what we do in the meantime is we practice a smaller version of it. We practice noticing when we have gotten caught up in one of these realms and mindfully seeing that that's what's happened. Because that's a miniature pulling out. That's a miniature uh, escaping the round, if you will, by becoming mindful, becoming aware that the mind is caught in something. So one way that we do that is, you know, just through basic inquiry. So, for example, notice which of these six difficult emotions has taken over your mind, or at least is, is running in your mind. It may be that there's uh, more than one. Remember, the options are anger, greed, instinct, desire, envy, or pride. Um, you know, we can put other ones that we get, like fear, we could put into anger, usually, or survival. You know, you can distribute these into these main categories. So there may be more than one, and it's a good idea to just choose one if you're doing the practice and you want to, you know, free yourself from one of them. So usually just pick the strongest one. If you think you're caught up, figure out what's the strongest and identify that. So suppose, suppose you saw anger like I pointed out at the beginning of this talk. So then you could ask some questions about that. How does anger operate in my mind? You know, how is this realm being 
generated, essentially. So things like, this is not an abstract question. You're asked to look. Oh, I'm angry at this moment. What does it feel like in my body? Where is it? Is it in my throat, my, my chest, my belly? Is it hot? Is it cold? Anger could be either, actually. Um, you know, what does it feel like in terms of energy? What other emotions might be attached to it? Like anger is often associated, often associated with fear underneath or sometimes associated with hurt underneath, uh, sparking anger in response. How does it affect the way that I see things? You know, this is this opposition. Um, if we're in a very angry mood and we walk into a room we've never been in before, it's unlikely that our first thought is going to be, what a beautiful carpet. That's not the first thought you're going to have if you're in an angry, a really angry mood, probably. You know, instead you'll say, what ugly curtains. <laughs> or, you know, we tend to see things that we don't like when we're angry. So these are to be done in the moment, you know, actually viscerally. And then there are also ways we could work with this in meditation. So we can make anger the object of our meditation and see how it operates. So this is, um, it's important to look and note maybe what's happening, but not really to analyze. It's not so useful when you're sitting in meditation to say, oh, look at that, there's anger. You know what? I'm angry about that. And you know what? That's a pattern. I'm always angry about that because when I was a child, that wasn't allowed in my family. We weren't allowed to express anger about those things. So now I have all of this. That's, do you see that you kind of spun off and you're no longer actually being with the anger in this moment? So we, we need to stay uh, with that. And interestingly, um, as we do this, we may begin to open up a space that's not actually consumed by anger. You know, if we really allow ourselves to feel it directly, which can be a little scary at first, but it, it's okay if you're sitting on the cushion, go ahead and feel it. If it's there, you don't need to evoke it, but if it's there, we may discover that in actually opening to it, there's also an experience of something that isn't angry. You know, how is it that we're be able to relate to this emotion and feel it and know that that's what we're doing? Well, it's because there is something that's not caught up in it. And we can learn to rest in that part that's not caught up in the anger. This is an excellent strategy for, for learning to digest our own emotions, learning to understand what they are outside of the situations in the external world that are triggering them. We learn about it on the cushion and then we have um, better information when we're going in and we actually get triggered by our spouse or our boss or whatever. We'll have some more information. So we, we can understand as we're sitting there, how is it that this is pulling on me? Like, where's the hook in the anger that helps me to get sucked into it? You can actually see that if you're resting in the space that isn't angry. It, it may be that when you do this, the anger disappears because we're so clear about it. When you see something really clearly, sometimes it vanishes. Sort of like in those fairy tales when you know the dragon's name, all, it loses all of its power. That's where these things come from. They come from when you see something and really are able to meet it, that is, name it, 
um, it may disappear or lose its power. Uh, those external stories are about psychological phenomena. Um, but it may not. It may be that you can be very mindful of it and it's still there looking right back at you. <laughs> Sometimes that happens too. It doesn't actually matter for the purposes of this exercise whether it goes away or not because as long as you're mindful of it, you're not, you're not um, continuing to generate the, the root of anger. You know, you're not feeding it, basically. So, but even if the anger doesn't go away, you will notice that if you have this place where you can see it clearly, you have some measure of freedom from it. It may not be freedom like it's gone, but it's, you have some freedom from it in its presence, and that's hugely powerful. We may have to practice this a lot of times, but it's, it's a very useful technique. So then, having done some of that, uh, we can also bring things into our daily life practice. So I guess I'm on anger today. So um, if we notice that we're angry during the day, we get an email and it triggers us or something, we see something or hear something, um, we can, act, if we notice, oh, whoops, there's the anger. Remember, that's, that projects the world of opposition. So we can ask ourselves, what am I opposing? You got to be opposing something if you're angry because anger re relies on having something to bump up against. You may not see immediately what it is, but it does rely on that. So you ask, what is that? What am I opposing? Um, there's three questions. So what am I opposing? The second question is, do I have to oppose it? Interesting, right? Because the first, you know, the anger says yes, but the part of you that's observing might not say yes doesn't mean that you're supposed to say no, and you need to look for ways that you can say no. That, that would be a manipulation. But you just drop in the question, do I have to oppose it? It's an interesting point. Often the mind will say, oh, well, you know, it hadn't thought of that before. It was just in the opposition. And then the third question is, is opposing called for at all? So you depersonalize it. Is opposing called for? Another interesting question that your mind might not have really thought about. So it's, and it's helpful to do that third one where you take the I out of it. You can do this for any of the emotions, you know, any of the reactive emotions. For greed, you substitute take. You know, what am I taking? <laughs> if I'm feeling really greedy, what is it that I'm taking or, or needing? You know, do I have to need that? Do I have to take that? Is taking even called for? For instinct, we can use survive. For desire, we use enjoy. These are the same words I used before. For envy, achieve. And for pride, maintain. What am I maintaining? Often with pride, it's all about just keeping it the way it is. I like it, thank you. Let's keep this. Right? So these are interesting. These are, these are fun. Six is enough that you can remember all of them. Not too many. This is fun, especially if you... Um, I mean, you have to take it seriously in order to be willing to feel. These emotions are not pleasant, um, and so you have to feel them. But um, it can be fun, especially if you have a, a bit of a sense of humor about it. You know, we're just watching our, the antics of our mind... And these are, the th these are the patterns that have oppressed us for a long time. 
This is running around in the in the round of samsara. So there's a certain enjoyment, uh, not the not the suffering kind of enjoyment, uh, to seeing this, starting to see this in our minds. So just as a um, kind of an experiment, I want to try uh, saying, I'm going to say a sentence that's associated with each of the realms. And I thought it would be interesting for us to sit in just in openness and receive the statements and see what they evoke in you. Um, so maybe just bring your mind to a, a somewhat meditative posture. You don't need to close your eyes, but you could if you want. And I'm going to make six statements that correspond, one correspond, they correspond to each of the levels. And just see what it feels like to hear this. You're against me. I'm taking everything. I'm just trying to survive. I want you. I'm better than you. I'm right, and that's just how it is. Yeah? So those are the, there could be others, of course, but those are some statements that might evoke um, either those particular emotions for you or um, your how you feel about each of those realms. Because we will find in us that um, there are some realms that we kind of like, you know, we hang out there a lot. We think they might actually secretly be okay <laughs> to be in that. Um, and there are also some realms that we don't like. We might be afraid of them. We might have been told that that's not the right way to be. We might feel guilty or shame if we are occupying those realms. These are secondary arrows <laughs> that get added on. But you may have felt when I made those statements, which I said in quite a neutral tone of voice, by the way. So I didn't dig into you emotionally with them, but you may have produced some emotions in reaction to some of those statements. So this is all just information for you. It's information about your mind and heart and how you're creating projected realms into which you take birth and suffer. So I hope this teaching might provide some nuggets for ways that you can look at your mind or practices to try in terms of opening to these emotions. And just, um, you know, it's, it's not any kind of an absolute structure that you need to memorize, but it's like a little, it's a map that I, I think is helpful. So I wanted to pass that on. And it's, um, it's kind of empowering to realize that we can start to free ourselves from some of these, even in small ways. So I hope that's useful for your practice. Does anyone have any questions or comments?
anyone want to share any reactions to any of those six statements? That's right. I'm sure I heard a. <laughs> I don't know if it was totally neutral, but I was trying to push them into your heart a little bit, but I didn't include any um, um, real genuine emotion from my side. I was trying not to. Yeah. But they'd certainly evoke emotions. And the result of that is that you will project onto me, right? So let's say one of them provoked anger, you will project that I'm opposing you. That's, that's what anger does. Yeah. Sadness. Sadness. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not staying with it. Right. It would come. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Those, are the, those three realms, the ones below the human realm, are the realms of greater suffering than humans. So you may have felt some of the, the grief associated with beings that are caught in those realms, which might have been you sometimes, but also other people. And so that can lead to sadness or to compassion. Actually, one of the results of doing this practice uh, over, a fair, over a longer time interval, it's recommended, by the way, that if you're working with one of these, you spend two weeks on each of the six realms. Um, and after that, it changes our capacity and the nature of our compassion also. It tends to make it a little more real. <laughs> it's not compassion like pity, like, oh, those people are suffering and I'm not. That's a little bit the God realm, right? Um, but it becomes real because we've taken it into ourselves and we, we do feel sad about the times that we're in the hell, hungry, hell realm, hungry ghost realm or animal realm. Yeah. So let's say you're stuck in anger. The fact that you're seeing that you're stuck in anger, you're saying to get out of the anger, you go into that place where you can see that you're stuck in anger. Yeah. So that's that's the technique offered here. It's a it's a wisdom insight technique. Um, I mean, there are other remedies you'll hear for anger, like metta, for example. That would be a different kind of practice. It, it's good too. <laughs> But yes, this this is freeing by freeing by seeing, if you will. I almost find that if I get stuck in anger, I don't want to get out of anger. That's right. Self-perpetuating. That's right. Anger has a lot of energy associated with it, and the energy can be pleasant. I mean, we like to feel energized. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we get, and then it feels you know powerful or alive or something. This is normal. Um, Anger is said to have a honeyed tip and a poison root. Does that make some intuitive sense? Yeah. Um, so one of the things we can do when we, when we are able to see the anger, and I know we might, it might be one of these cases where we see it and then we fall in, and then we see it and then we fall in. That can happen. But one of the things you can watch is where's that hook? You know, what is it? So you've said that it feels kind of pleasant. That's a part of the hook is that because as humans, remember, we're seeking enjoyment. So we like things that are pleasant. So if the anger does have, a, it does have a little bit of pleasure to it. And if we focus on that, we'll go for it. Uh, anger also has some unpleasantness associated with it that we can feel. It's, it's actually quite unpleasant physically. Um, even if there's some of the energy, there's also a feeling of tension 
of stiffness. There's the feeling of opposition. Anger generates a huge self also, which is quite unpleasant. It's heavy on the mind. So if we can start to see the um, unpleasant side of anger also, it starts to lose its appeal in some ways. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is a wisdom technique for exploring emotion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.